Today is about the second, in the, in the first chapter of John, the second piece that we've chosen to work through a whole series of messages based on one John. And first of all, I would like to read the Bible reading for you, if I can make my thing work. <laughs> I always have trouble. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. So we'll talk a little bit about that later, but first of all, because this is a relatively long series, um, I wanted to spend a little bit of time putting a bit more flesh around the reality of John and the reality of Ephesus where this letter was written. John, uh, Stephen last week introduced John's credentials as the eyewitness. And in fact, John was the complete eyewitness in many ways because James, John, Peter were the disciples that Jesus spent time with and consulted at all times. It, they were with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. They were with him in, on the mountain. And in fact, John was the only one that was mentioned in the Bible that was at the cross of Jesus. So we could say John had everything. All the other disciples were had hidden or run away. Peter felt in disgrace. But John was there when Jesus said, look after my mother when he spoke at that time. So John also was the youngest of all the disciples. In, in fact, it's worked out that he was just maybe 20 or thereabouts, could be even 19. And he was also the last eyewitness. He was the last of the apostles he, because he lived well into his 90s and died as an old man. So John had a lot of experience and a lot of things to say about Jesus and he was really the apostle of love as they call him now. But he wasn't originally the apostle of love. He, Jesus called him and James the sons of thunder. These fishermen's sons that were impetuous in fact, in Luke 9, they suggested that they call fire down upon the Samaritans because things were not going well for Christ. Um, I read somewhere that someone, a preacher, said they, he suggested that they nuke them, you know. So I thought that was pretty strong words. But, you know, John became the apostle of love. You know, in, in 1 John, God... Love is mentioned 45 times. 
and it's the agape love of God that's mentioned. So John was converted from being the apostle, the impulsive apostle, to the one that became the apostle of love. He was changed like Peter was changed, like Stephen was changed, like Paul was changed, changed by God into not only being an eyewitness, but being a spiritual eyewitness in terms it what he saw on earth, he started to feel inside him and saw in his spirit. And I, I believe this is the same thing as we've seen through the, the church, the centuries, that people have become inspired by the Holy Spirit inside them. And it changes the life of someone who just knows about Jesus to someone who Jesus becomes a living and personal saviour. And this is what's so important about what John's saying in this book. We are changed into a personal relationship with God. I always remember when it happened to me. I knew about God. In fact, I think I, you know, well, I know I had already confessed Jesus as Lord and Saviour. But until this night in this small church in Terry Hills, when God's Spirit came upon me, that's when Jesus came alive in my life because the Spirit welled up in me and has never changed me since. I, I mean, I have these life cycles, which we all do, but what I do have is this feeling of this personal Saviour given to me and we become the same as John was an eyewitness in the flesh, we are eyewitnesses to the life of Jesus in the Spirit. We carry that forward in our life. And if nothing else I said tonight, well, tonight, yes, I, I didn't say morning, did I? <laughs> I I've come a long way. <laughs> so, but it's the, the change that the power of, of Jesus puts in us. And you know, this letter was also, it's interesting, because I'm going to talk a little bit about Ephesus, but this letter was written to the churches around Ephesus. And Bev and I went on a tour some years ago to the seven churches of Revelation. Ephesus is one of them. And the others are all around. And it was just an amazing amount of wreckage, you know, places destroyed by earthquake, destroyed by wars. But those churches that John spoke about in Revelation are probably the same churches that he was writing this letter to. The churches around Ephesus, including Ephesus. I just wanted, because I've been there, I wanted to just show you some things so that you see, if you haven't been to Ephesus, well, maybe it works. Why is it not right? Okay, you see, you see that that is Curie Street. That is the main entrance into Ephesus from the south. All the priests in the old Greek um, uh, religions all did their parades down there. On this side, there was the houses of the rich, the people, beautiful mosaics on the floor. Over on this side, it was the council's 
council chambers, the public bars, the public toilets. Over the back was the Temple of Artemis. And then right in front, you see the seat of learning. The... Please. So here is the library, you know, which is a beautiful building. And behind that is Ephesus' version of Westfield Plaza, you know, a big agora, a big shopping centre. And over to the left, if I have the next slide, that's the, where Paul preached to the people of Ephesus. I can relate that when I stood there in the middle of that, I had my hair absolutely standing on end and I could feel God's spirit speaking to me and I felt like I wanted to be like Paul. I wanted to preach the gospel. I don't know how we did it. It's such a big place and there's no microphones. But I wanted that. And I wanted to show you one more picture. It's the following picture. There, this little person is the person who came to hear me preach. It happens to be my wife. She climbed up all those stairs on her own while I stood down the bottom because my knee was playing up, so I let her go up the stairs. But I felt like she's up there and I'm down here and I could preach the gospel. So that, that, was, that was Ephesus and, and the Arcadian way down the side went to the sea so that a lot of people came from Ephesus by sea or by road up, there, up to the Kirit Street and, and it was a great place where people like Paul and all of those people in the, we see, read about in the New Testament. Well, all Ephesus was the centre. So it's just a place where things happen. If you move just to the next slide, thanks. Up on the hillside, not very far away, outside of Ephesus, is what's proposed to be the tomb of John. And so that's where they propose that he looked after Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's all, you know, it's all built up in church folklore in many ways. But there is, there's enough case there to say, look, here it is. This, is. this is Ephesus. This is what John said. This is what we need to grasp. These people were real people in real times. And, and now we are the same real people in real times, but knowing the spirit. So I, I just want to move now on to the, to the scriptures today. And, but first of all, I'd like to pray just a blessing. So Father, thank you that we can gather here. Thank you that your word speaks to us. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is amongst us. Thank you, Father, that, that we are so privileged to know you and to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. And I pray, Lord, that through this message, that people who know you would be built up and people who don't know you would understand more and more about you and what the saving grace of the Lord is. And so, Lord, just bless us as we move on now in Jesus' name. Amen. So that the letter, this part of the, or the whole letter, speaks to us in a a spiral way. If you read, when Stephen read two weeks ago the, um, the whole of the letter, you could see a certain repetition. It's what you would say is a spiral letter. So John keeps coming back to the same subjects 
but he adds to them all the time so that as we go through this uh, uh, letter with you, you will see that we repeat a lot of things that John was trying to get across to you, but there's always an addition. So this, this um, part of the passage that we're looking at, 1 John 1, 5 to 10, starts with a, a very important statement. God is light. God is light. This is what John built his whole theory of, or speak about God. Don't say theory because it's not theory. But he's speaking about God. God was light. One of the things that I, I was very interested to find out as I, I read about all of this, Albert Einstein said in his theory of relativity, the speed of light travels at 186 miles per second. And what he said is at that speed, time ceases. And I, I thought about that, and time ceases. And God, who is light, actually, he is out of the order of time and of space. God is beyond all of that. He has no beginning and no end. He is eternal. So it's not wrong to call God the God of light, because there's a natural joining together of science and who God is. John spends a lot of time in this developing what he means about walking in the light. And, and also what the opposite means, walking in darkness. There's a war going on between the light of God and the darkness of Satan. And I'd say at the moment, if we're in a time when we really can see darkness is on the attack in this world and on the attack in the church, within and without the church, outside the church and inside the church. And the challenge for us is to keep up this fight and be aware that Satan is aiming to bring all of us down one way or the other if he can. So we need to remember, walk in the light, or if we walk in the darkness, then where is our fellowship with God? And in this passage, John also speaks about this special fellowship with God. In this, in this reading, he mentions fellowship twice and later in the, in, in the book. The fellowship is koinonia, is the Greek word, which I'm sure many of us have heard before. But only with God involved can we really have what is koinonia. It defines the unity of the spirit that comes from shared beliefs, convictions and behaviours. It produces mutual cooperation in God's worship, work and his will being done. So in the whole of the New Testament, koinonia is mentioned 20 times. So you see... The fellowship is built, firstly he comes from the God is, God is light and then he starts to develop the fellowship and then what it means about lightness, light and darkness. So, in, so we can see the parallels when John, in John's Gospel, also written in Ephesus, all the books were written in Ephesus, the 1, 2 and 3 John and the Gospel of John. He would, 
lived most, it seems like he lived most of his time in Ephesus, went to Patmos in exile, wrote the book of Revelation and came back and died in Ephesus. But in the Gospel of John, in verse, John 1 verse 5, he says, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood. He's written this letter because of the misunderstanding of the nature of Jesus, which Stephen spent time on last week. The nature of Jesus, truly God, truly human. And we can never forget that God, Jesus, is made up of his humanness and his godliness or his holiness. And that for us is a great promise because if he was only godliness, he would probably not understand in some way that hard feeling we feel of suffering and pain and emotion. So Jesus is that combined, truly God, truly human. And in Ephesus in, in, or in the Greek places, this was fairly interesting and, and easy for the Greeks to change it around. And that's what John was talking about at that time, the false teachers, the people who in this case were the early forms of Gnosticism, which lasted for the first couple of centuries AD. But John speaks to this, and he, he speaks very much about this part of it first, the light. In John 1.4, he says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And in verse 8, he says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will walk, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And, and it goes on, you know, all of this early chapters of John. After, in John it talks about, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, then... He goes on, and this is a, a really important passage. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men have loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. So it's all about living about the truth. And, and it's not just John that raises this idea of light and darkness. Paul talks quite a lot about it in Thessalonians, in Ephesians, and I think we've... In 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, You are sons of light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. And in Ephesians, for once you were darkness. Not in darkness, you were darkness. So we've been changed from a body of people who were darkness ourselves, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And I, th I think in, I want you to think about this because living in the light is not just a word thing or something that we dream up. That both Paul and John talk about 
what it means living in the light. And Paul here says, goodness, righteousness and truth. And we see as we move on, this will, John will talk more about this walking in the light. So if God is light, then Jesus is light. If we are the children of God, we inherit this light to shine on the world. That's our inheritance for us to shine around the people we, sh we meet and we, we come in into contact with. So, in Matthew 5 it says, You are a light of the world. A city on, the hill, on a hill cannot be hidden. That's speaking about us. We cannot hide our faith. We cannot hide our trust in Jesus. We need to be able to shine the light and share the light. Walking in the light is a series of events and, motion, and, and motions. It's progressive. We are leaving sin behind, although we are not without sin until we finally meet Jesus in heaven. And he, but he calls us to come out of the darkness and to walk with him, but to walk with him in his perfection and our desire for perfection, our desire to be perfected in Jesus, which really, realistically, I know in my life, it'll happen when I meet Jesus. Um, but I'm trying all the time, and I'm sure all of us are. We want to serve the risen Lord. So this leads us into fellowship with God the Father and Christ our Saviour. We need to live in the light. Darkness always surrounds us. We live in this dark fallen world, this post-Christian world that we are. Truth is what's in you, not what the Bible says. There is no moral direction or acknowledgement of a creator God. With this thinking, the world has not defeated evil, but the world has joined with Satan in this evil. And that's the, the challenge for the church today. We are under attack, and you can see it. We can sit here and feel not so under attack. But the, the church is under attack around the world, being derided and, worst case, persecuted in increasing number. Let's just talk a little bit about what John says about sin in this particular in this particular few verses and about the false truths. A man, David Jack, Jackman, said, All sin is in an essence an attack on the character of God. We are not willing to believe that the living God as, is as the scriptures reveal him to us. We no longer, the world doesn't want to believe in that. So it's a, the world is attacking God's character. So John raises three false truths, and these are the heart of this particular passage. If we claim to have fellowship yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim not to, sin, not to have sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. 
John says light and darkness cannot be in unity. This is the test. The false teachers at that time said that they walked in the light. They knew Jesus. However, their works were of darkness. And that's a, a fact even now. We can talk about, you know, good people or whatever. But what's going on underneath sometimes is not good. As far as John is concerned, there is the test of truth. And he says it, it is the good and right acts we do for God. Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before men, that they might see your good deeds and praise the Father in heaven. So, you know, we know that in James it says, you know, without, without works without faith are, are dead works. But what our outgoing, our outgrowth of our faith is works for Christ. As we see people around us, it is not just a matter of us sitting here. It's a matter of how we deal with the people around us and help the people around us. So, the good news is that light overcomes darkness. But, but, let me tell you, I was thinking about it. A long time ago, I went to Janolan Caves, and in the Lucas Cave, which is the big cave, the first thing they do when they take you inside, they turn the lights off, and they say, you want to see what true darkness is like. And you can, it doesn't matter how close, you can't see anything. But they can turn on a small light, or a candle, or a larger light, and darkness is banished. Which is all very well, I thought to myself. But the, lightness, the light can only stay on as long as there is energy and power to sustain it. So if we are to maintain the light of Jesus, we need to be sustained by the word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by everything that relates to Jesus. So this is the whole point. Light overcomes darkness, but it's not a static thing. It is us in our hearts and working in our hearts that brings the light to the world and maintains the light on the world. Question for all of us, am I walking in the light? Am I a light and a beacon to reach out to those around me? Next question. How close am I to the darkness? Do I need to seek forgiveness from God so that I can move on in him? The challenge of John is light versus darkness. Actually, he challenges us even more that it is light versus darkness. It is fellowship with God versus separation. It is love of God versus emptiness. It is darkness versus eternal life. It is God's love versus sin and separation. John has this juxtaposition that he takes. He's putting one thing on one side, one thing on the other. So John challenges us to walk in the light. Better than that, be the light. Live in fellowship with God and one another. Do not lie to ourselves that we have no sin. 
confess our sins, believe God will forgive us and that he renews us each day. So that in this letter, God is life is mentioned 14 times. God is light is six times. God is love is 45 times. More than any other book in the, in the New Testament. Agape love, the love of God. So, so that's our challenge. And these, I, I just wanted to break from this. I, I get this uh, daily blog, if you like, a paper, and it's just because of, you know, my heart really is, is really hurting all the time about Ukraine. And most of it's coming about Ukraine. And just some of these, these small things that I thought I could share with you. The grow, this growing crisis is an opportunity for God's people to demonstrate God's compassion in the power of God's spirit. The darker the room, the more necessary and powerful is the light. In other words, you and I are responsible to know what's to happening, to pray about it, and then find ways to answer our prayers personally. When we do this, the body of Christ acts as the hands and feet of Jesus. In our war-torn world, we demonstrate the relevance of our faith by the relevance of our service. Those who experience our courageous compassion will be marked by God's grace at work in and through us. This is the model of Jesus at work. Our Saviour healed bodies so we could heal souls. He opened blind eyes so we could open blind hearts. He met, he met felt need to meet spiritual need and he calls us to do the same. A, a doctor in America, a, a doctor of theology said, I have no right to preach the gospel to a hungry person. And just one more thing I wanted to read. This is about the Baptist church in Chelm in Poland. It has become a gateway and safety for the security of hundreds of, of Ukrainians fleeing their homeland. Church volunteers tell refugees that the church has free drinks, showers, and a places to sleep. The congregation has also set up a children's area where they can play or watch educational videos on a screen. Mark Glo Marek Glodek, president of the Baptist Union of, Problem, of Poland says, what we are seeing is a movement of love and generosity across this nation. Poles are opening their arms to the Ukrainians. They are taking them into their churches, they are taking them into their homes, they are feeding them, they are caring for it. He adds, this is what Jesus called his believers to do all the time. Polish Christians are taking the teachings of Jesus seriously and living them out each day during the situation. So my, my point is that it's what John is saying about how we shed and spread the light. We're in a time, I think, of preparation. The past is the past. John and Paul have taught us along with the rest of the New Testament. God has given us a word to prepare us for the battle. He's never been wavering about the times. You can ask the question, where are we now in God's plan and knowledge of the future? 
where are we now in the readiness to fight against Satan? We saw the people, the church, the, the rubble of, that's left of Ephesus. So the people of Ephesus is gone. Ephesus is gone. They had an expectant future, but they no longer exist except in fallen marble. And John is asking us to prepare for this. Our relationship and our belief with Jesus or in Jesus must be unwavering. God will triumph, but it's at a, at a cost. We need to be ready for what God has planned. And by taking this letter of John, particularly as we go around and we go around, we will find that the same thing comes back. God is light. God loves us. We are the fellowship of Jesus Christ here on earth. We are the people who can make a difference to the people around us. And we have, whether it's sickness, whether it's difficult personal circumstances, the attacks will come from Satan and we need to be ready to support and to work with Jesus and lean into him. We saw on television this morning, this is my closing statement. I've taken a lot of time. Jesus came to give the free gift of salvation to the guilty, not a reward for the righteous. So Jesus came to release the captives, as it said in the Bible. And we are part of that opportunity to release captives in the name of Jesus. So they come to know what a mighty saviour, what a personal saviour we have, what an important part of the world's history revolves around us as believers in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the confidence that we have in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. We thank you for the confidence we have in your word and your truths and your promises. And Father, I pray that you will help us to live out that life of light that you call us to do. Father, we know we are weak and we know we do make mistakes. We know we sin. But we know through Jesus Christ we have forgiveness. So help us, Lord, to accept that forgiveness and to move on for you and build your kingdom with you, with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. Father, I just ask that in Jesus' name for all of us. Amen. Amen.